It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help. Dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in a Thursday into Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski. And how about the idea that we are spending time together back-to-back days? Well, when you have a knick-knack game and then you have our usual Thursday podcast extravaganza, I wasn't going to jip you guys out of a Thursday pod. There was no way in the world I was going to do that. We had a lot of fun last night. Um, Just so you know, Our Spotify live shows, we're taking it Twitter spaces. I'm going to tweet it out when we go. I'm going to figure it out as we go. I I, I thought it was pretty good yesterday, quite frankly, considering it was the first time we had put one of those together. It also makes it that much better when the Knicks go and basically put up 80-something points in the first half. And you walk around town. Like, I'm getting my Starbucks today. You know, I'm talking to buddies when I wake up and see my barrage and the, the cavalcade of text messages. There's Nick's fever, baby. There is legitimate Nick fever throughout New York City. And I, I think in many ways, the city has fallen in love with this team. You saw it two years ago. The difference between 
that team that lost in five to Atlanta and this team, there's a drastic difference. You know what the drastic difference is? Jalen Brunson and this team is legitimately efficient on the offensive end. So for all the Tom Thibodeau haters out there, they could go stick away to Sundown Shine. They got one of the most efficient offenses in the NBA. The numbers, the nerds, the analytics, they all back it up. The Knicks are playing a high level of offense, which to me makes what you are seeing right now far more legitimate and far more sustainable than what it was two years ago. When to me, the Knicks play hard. They took advantage of a soft schedule, COVID year. Some teams not giving a rat's ass. The whole deal. This team, it feels, it looks different. So, I mean, now I'm not in, and I'm not going to get delirious to the idea that this team is going to go on a deep playoff run. But if they find their way into the 4-5 and they match up, let's say, with Cleveland in that first-round series, they're alive in the series. I'm not saying they're going to win. I'll save that prediction for April. We don't need to make a pick on a playoff series in early March. Nobody is expecting me or anybody else, for that matter, to go and do that. But can they win a series? Yeah, they can. That's something to be excited about as we move through the month of March. We watch a whole lot of college basketball. We get ready for the baseball to get going. Hey, I'm dreaming, folks, of an April that's filled with Nick playoff games, Ranger Devil first round series. I think we'd all like the sound of that. And the start of a baseball season with both teams having legitimate World Series aspirations. I got a couple of thoughts. And we don't get nuts about spring training. The results to me mean diddly squat. Unless you're a guy that's looking to go and really, dare I say, make an impression. Anthony Volpe seems to be making quite the impression in Yankee camp. He homered today. He had a great game the other day on Sunday. I don't think he's going to do enough to win the job because I think the Yankees envision Peraza being the shortstop. I do. I think they think he's a better glove, and I think ultimately down the road, they envision that their double play combination is going to be Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe. I think if you were to put Brian Cashman under a lie detector test, That's what he would tell you. I hope these guys are in my infield for the next nine years. Is it going to work out that way? Is it going to go according to script? Who the hell knows? After all, Gleyber Torres was a can't-miss prospect. He's had a solid major league career, but I I think it's fair to say most of us would say Gleyber Torres has not met the expectation that we all thought he was going to meet in the first two years of his big league career. I mean, all you need to know is that I thought Gleyber Torres was going to be the best of the Yankees. I put that on record. Better than Aaron Judge. I was clearly wrong. He has not progressed the way I thought he would, and Judge obviously took his game to another level. So you never know about young players, but that's the hope for the Yankees. Two guys, super young, super cheap, anchor the middle infield, and they're athletic. I don't think Volpe starts the year. He goes and has a monster spring. And let's say Peraza does not. Would that alter my viewpoint if I'm the Yankees? Yeah, it would. It absolutely would. The bottom line is this. I'm not going to be upset either way 
if we're sitting here on opening day, and for many of you, you'll be at Yankee Stadium. For me, I will be at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. So it's my first opening day. I'm not in town since 2019 because we had to do a SNY show. I'll never forget that. I had to bail on doing my Yankee opening day tradition because, listen, I'm a working man. I, I honor when we got something cooking, and we had a new show at the time called The Threat. I want to be on opening day. They needed the heavy hitters on. You know, they needed me. You know, they could have won with others, but they needed me. Understandably so. So I will not be at opening day, but my hope is, as I go on this little tangent, one of the kids needs to be at shortstop. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Peraza. I don't care if it's Volpe. Give me either guy. I do not care. I will be having my mojito or my modelo, whatever I'm drinking. I don't even know. After my coffee, of course. Happy that the Yankees are going with one of their young guns at shortstop. Don't sit there and tell me it's IKF. If it's IKF, I got a major problem with the Yankees. I just want to state that. Now, the storyline to come out of the Mets is what Mauricio's been doing. And when you think about the Mets' top prospects, you heard a lot about Alvarez. You've heard a lot about Beatty. And if you watch me on S&Y, we've been talking about this a lot this week because we haven't done a lot of baseball on our show this week, but I do baseball night in New York. You know, I'm, I'm a man of many talents. What can I say? And I got a major man crush on Brett Beatty. I mean, his swing, lefty. I'm always the sucker for a lefty. Yankee fans should know that because I adore Rizzo. Beatty looks like he's going to be a player. And I think he's got to have a role on this team. But the guy who's having a monster camp is Mauricio. Mauricio's interesting, though, because he's a shortstop. I think we all know the Mets have their shortstop now for the next, what, seven years at least in Francisco Lindor? So we know Volpe has a major role on the Yankees because the Yankees did not commit to a big-time veteran shortstop. Basically telling you, yeah, Peraza or Volpe is going to be the guy. The Mets, they have Lindor. He's the shortstop. Does Mauricio either one work his way into the plans this year later on to help the Mets? Maybe. If it's a third, maybe they try him out in the outfield. Who knows? Or is he the trade ship that gets you, let's say, the big power bat that I think the Mets are going to need come the deadline? The Mets are going to add power to this team one of two ways. It's either going to be guys like Alvarez and Beatty having a role, having an impact, hitting home runs. Or come June, July, they're going to say, well, we don't feel good about this. And, and I don't know who the power bat may be. Like, listen, it's obvious. Oh, Otani. It's got to be Otani. Let's see if it's Otani. It might be somebody else. You don't want to react to the trade market in March because you never know what it's going to be come midseason. You, you don't know who's going to be a buyer, seller, what have you. And you got to be careful now with this trade deadline. With the extra playoff team, you have less teams out of it. So you could look at the usual suspects and say, yeah, they're going to suck. We know that. Oakland's going to suck. Colorado's going to suck. Pittsburgh's going to suck. No offense, Pat Mildon. They're going to suck. Those are teams you can cherry pick off of. Other teams, you got to wait and see. I think Mauricio's role down the road is a trade chip because I think the Mets love Alvarez and I think they love Beatty if he can figure out what's going on with his defense. So you got all that going on. Combine, listen, thank God the Jets and the Giants are not picking high in the draft. How people get into the combine, God bless you. Now, I understand the value of being out there. Like, 
would I love a one-on-one with Mike McDaniel? Hell yeah. That's my dude. See that outfit he had rocking the other day? I mean, that's my coach. That's my coach. That's how you dress. Inspiration. Anybody who's going out there that really cares about the 40-yard dash and how big somebody's hands are, who cares? It's all for the networking. I get that. That's why the whole NFL community is basically out there. We should know within the next week. Jones is going to be back. Is it on the tag? Is it a long-term deal? Barkley, if Jones does not get tagged, is he the obvious tag guy? I would say yes. And then from a Jets standpoint, listen, I, I am so over hearing about what Aaron Rodgers is doing and what's going on with Derek Carr. Enough. Just just give me, give me a name so we can move forward on what the Jets are going to look like next year. The waiting is killing me. And as Tom Petty once said, the waiting is most certainly the hardest part. All right. Let's take a couple of voicemails. Then we're going to have Ian Begley, and we're going to have a guy who played a big role in that Jets secondary last year. And you're going to have to apologize for my voice. We taped it early in the morning. I had absolutely no voice, so I probably sound a little hoarse. I probably sound like I picked up smoking as someone who's never smoked a cig in his life. I'm probably going to sound horrible. So just so you know, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a dead cat. But Michael Carter, the outstanding Jet Nickelback, is going to join the show uh, with our duty in Begley. So anyway, voicemails. Get him in for Sunday after Nick's Celtics, 917-382-1151. Uh, and then we're going to do a spaces at some point during the week. I, I don't know when. We might have some football news to react to, so it might be a play-by-year situation. Um, Stefan, let's hear some calls. I'm in the mood. Let's go. Hey, JJ. This is Evan from Burn County. Coming back from the uh, the garden last night, uh, I was at the game. Great win. 37 points in the first quarter. Jalen Phillips is unbelievable. That's not what I'm here to talk about, JJ. I want to hear if we're going to be talking about the Devils, the New Jersey Devils. I know this is New York, New York, but you guys, you know, Giants, Jets, they play in the, uh, they play in Jersey, you know, to try to stay area podcast. Let's be honest. You got callers coming in from Jersey all the time. I know you're going to be talking to Rangers as we come near the playoffs. Well, they're going to be playing the Devils. We need to hear a little bit from the Devils as well. I want to, I want to get some, some guys on here talking about that. Um, if it's just me calling in, that's fine. But I'm going to be calling in, and uh, we gotta have we got to have some conversing going on. I want to be going at it with the Rangers. Thanks, JJ. Fan blue, baby. Fair enough. Listen, we talked about it last night with Johnny Lazarus. There's a very good chance. In fact, it's almost... I, I can't say it's a fait complete because the Devils could jump the Carolina Hurricanes. So you could get Carolina and the Rangers, let's say, in that first-round Metropolitan Series. But the Rangers are basically locked into that number three spot. I mean, things can change. They got a bunch of games here in the month of March. They got games coming up in April. Regular season ends a little earlier this year. On April the 13th is the last regular season game. I mean, I would love a Devil Rangers series. And, and I'm not going to insult the intelligence and tell you that I'm dialed into what's going on with the Devils. I know they made a big trade. I know you used as a stud. I know your coach is terrific. I know him. He, he's got some Syracuse connections. Lindy Ruff, I like him a lot. But Rangers Devils, good spice it up around here. And if you're a Devil fan and you're into it down a stretch, listen, you're welcome here on New York, New York. Welcome. This is when I start getting into hockey. I, I, I'm not going to lie and insult the hockey fan and tell him I'm watching day in and day out. I don't have the time. I I, I don't. But come playoff time, I get into it. I love playoff hockey. 
And I think if you have followed our podcast over the last two years, you'll know the Islanders were in the conference finals two years ago. We were doing all sorts of stuff with them. The Rangers were in the conference finals last year. We basically had post-game shows every single night. We will be very active. And this is why I'm so amped about the month of April. We're going to have fucking kick-ass month of April. I gave you the occasional left bomb. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We're going to have a kick-ass April. I mean, it's going to make my life and Stefan's life insane, but, you know, that's good. I like being busy. I'd rather that than the other way around. You know, there are people in this industry who don't want to work. They're lazy. They don't like the games. They don't want to do this. They don't want... I, 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 Stefan and I like this stuff, so we'll, we'll be fine. Our, our ladies may hate us, but that's fine. Uh, that's Paul for the course these days, anyway. All right, who's next? So, JJ, it's John from Connecticut. Um, I'm calling just away in a little bit about the Knicks, and I think what has everybody so excited about this run and this, you know, the construction of the team in particular right now is we're we're all really quick to think about skills in the NBA and how you need really skilled players, you know, whether it's shooting, dribbling, passing, all the stuff that we think of. But the reality is. Playing hard is as important a skill as there is in basketball. Uh, I coach a high school team, and it took me an entire season to get my current kids to recognize that playing hard isn't something that you just roll out of bed and decide to do one day. It takes buy-in, and it takes chemistry, and it takes a full team and a roster to truly play their hardest. And that's what's really encouraging about this next team. Guys like Brunson and Josh Hart and this year's version of Julius Randle and a lot of these role guys, Grimes, you know, whoever it is, you name it, they just play hard. And even in the NBA, these superstars like to think that the playoffs will come around and they're going to, you know, pick it up a notch. And in the meanwhile, they're resting throughout the season and they're pampered and whatnot. This is a gritty team and they're going to be ready day one of the playoffs because it's all they know. All they know is play as hard as we can to try and win a game every day. And like you said, I think uh, Boy Simmons should be worried because they're going to be a tough out for a really good team like the Celtics or whoever it is. I uh, really enjoy the show. Thanks, JJ. Take care. I appreciate that call. Um, you nailed it. They play incredibly hard night in, night out. The team two years ago played hard. There's a difference, though. This team's scarier. They're scarier because of Brunson. They're scarier because they're way more efficient on the offensive end. There's way more cohesion. The younger guys have given them a spark. Somebody like Quickly specifically has been great. I mean, he's worth his way into the legitimate six-man-of-the-year category. Hart has been as good as it gets from a pickup standpoint. The dirty work, the little things, he's doing it all. I do not think the Knicks can get to the conference finals. Let me just throw that out there. I'm sorry to throw cold water into everybody's face. I do not see the Knicks as their conference final team. But can I see the Knicks winning a series if things go right? I sure can. I sure can. All right, let's take one more. Disco J, it's Syosset. Listen, I know that you're going to come back and you're going to tell me service time this, Isaiah Connor for left of that. And it's not you. Um, it's not your opinion. You're just answering with what the front office and the brain trust of the Yankees are going to say. 
But at what point is Anthony Volpe going to make it hard on Cashman to not make him the starting shortstop on opening day this year? Kid hit a home run today. He's hitting the ball well. Then he's getting on base and stealing two bases at a time. I, I mean, when's the last time that the Yankees had somebody that could do that? Now, I, I'm not one of the – and you know me. I'm on record here. I'm not one of these guys that were killing Connor Falefa last year. I know the computer curses of the world were finding whatever sabermetric stat they could use to tell you that he was a, a, a below-average defender. But I thought he was what he was. He was a number nine hitter. He didn't strike out. He put the ball in play. And, uh, and you know, he, he had his moments in the field. But for what he was, he was serviceable. But Connor Falefa is not the future. This kid is the future. So if you're going to tell me it's service time, service time, that they're not going to have him be the shortstop opening day, I think that's a fucking disgrace. I mean, am I wrong? What does this kid have to do? Like, he could go on a slump for the rest of the spring, I get it. But what does he have to do in your eyes, realistically, to be the shortstop on opening day in the Bronx, even though some others will be in Vegas? It's a great question, Anthony. Let me state this. If we're talking about IKF and Volpe, I don't care about service time. Volpe should be the guy. But what you're failing, I think, to realize here is that the Yankees have another youngster that they're very high on that has better defensive ability in Peraza. To me, Peraza is the guy that's far more likely to keep Anthony Volpe in the minor leagues. You see where I'm going with that? They brought up Peraza last year. He is a highly regarded prospect. It's not sleep on him as a prospect. And you saw him in small spurts last year. He could pick it on defense. He can pick it. He can pick it. He can pick it on defense. I think as long as he has a decent camp, he's going to be the guy. I think the Yankees know they have to have a different shortstop than IKF. And listen, this is where we beg to differ. IKF was not good defensively last year. You want to tell me you could live with his contact? He doesn't have power. If he was a defensive wizard, last year would have been far more tolerable for me. He not only was not average defensively, he was below average to the point where the Yankees couldn't trust him to play the position. In the biggest game they played of the year, game five against Cleveland was IKF at shortstop. He was not. They had Waldo at shortstop. So IKF ain't in. If he's on the team, fine. He plays one or two days a week, fine. He cannot be the everyday shortstop. If Volpe outplays Peraza and they say, you know what? Volpe's the guy, great. But I think you're missing on Peraza here, Anthony. Let's not make Peraza out to be another stopgap. He's not. It could be Volpe and Peraza for years to come. I think the Yankees got to figure out who their shortstop's going to be, though. They got to figure that out first and foremost. And my gut is, if Peraza's going to be here, Volpe we know is going to be here. The Yankees love Volpe. They love him. Whether it's at shortstop or second base, they love him. Peraza, though, is he a part of the future? or? Is he a guy that's, like, expendable for them? I don't think he is. Because if he was, I think they would have traded him for Castillo last year. Now, I heard they wanted Peraza and Dominguez. The Yankees weren't doing it. But Oswald Peraza, 
That's my prediction for Yankee opening day shortstop. All right, loaded show. Begley on all the Knicks stuff. Michael Carter on the 2022 Jet season. Good job with the calls. Get in my way come Sunday night. Remember, Sunday night, late show after Knicks Celtics. Sunday night game. And if you've never left a voicemail on New York, New York, get on it. 917-382-1151. All right, Ian Begley, SNY, also it's a Knicks stuff. Up next. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Right now, New York City's got Nick Fever. Team's 10 games over 500. They're red hot. They have not lost since the Josh Hart trade. And it's been a real entertaining week. Smoking the Celtics, embarrassing the Nets. Let's welcome in a man who spends a lot of time in Madison Square Garden. SNY NBA insider, the putback, Ian Begley. How are you, my friend? I'm doing quite well. This is this is refreshing watching this brand of basketball, dude. You're happy right now, right? Did you wake up this morning happy? Very happy. Not going to lie. Very happy. Yeah, I feel that mood. Even out here in Long Island, I feel that mood coming from the city because it's it's rare where this Nick team over the last two decades or so has been in this spot, right? Two de- uh, 10 games over 500, seven wins in a row, fifth place in the East. They're in the race. We're not talking about lottery odds. We're not talking about ping pong balls. We're talking about the playoff race. So hasn't happened often here. And I think credit to everybody from Leon Rose on down that the Knicks are in the place where they are at the moment. I think that's a great point. And I think the coach, Ian, deserves a ton of credit here because he was much maligned in early December. They lost that Dallas game. And basically everybody was waiting that following day they played Cleveland if they lose this Cleveland game, is he going to lose his job? Are the Knicks going to yeah. look to shake it up? He ends up cutting the rotation. The team has played for him. They play for him every single night. Now he's yeah. on the verge of taking the team to the playoffs two out of three years. I, uh, the Tibbs haters are awfully silent these days, Bags. Yeah, you have to be because of what you mentioned. And I think the record, JJ, since this rotation was cut, I believe it's something like 27 and 14. Don't quote me on that. Something around there. But it's like, it's not a fluke anymore, right? This is a solid basketball team that knows how to win games. And this is a team that I think if you're a fan, 
what they've showed you to date is, is you can trust them, right? It was shaky early on in the season. Uh, they'd win one, they'd lose one. They'd go on a little bit of a losing streak. You referenced rock bottom. But even after rock bottom, I think that there were instances where they didn't play well. And they, you know, in some in some ways reverted to the last season's Knicks. But over this last seven games, right, since Josh Hart's been on the court, it just looks like a very competent basketball team. And that might sound like a low bar, but it's a bar that I think most Knicks fans are, are happy about meeting right now. No doubt. Two years ago, Ian, they had a lot of these similar feel-good vibes. They end up getting a 4 seed. They got outclassed by the Atlanta Hawks. They had no answer for Trey Young. Their team, talent-wise, wasn't as good. And it showed in that playoff series. I think it's different this year. Now, I'm not saying that the Knicks are a championship contender. They're not. But it feels different to me because of a couple of different things here. Number one, Brunson, who they did not have two years ago. Number two, this is a way better offensive team. I mean, you think about that team two years ago. They're starting Reggie Bullock. They're starting Alfred Payton. You could make the argument in that playoff series against Atlanta, Derrick Rose was their best player. Now Derrick Rose is basically the official mascot of the team. I don't think it's similar to two years ago. Is this team, in your opinion, drastically better than that one we saw in the first round against the Atlanta Hawks? I, I don't. I hesitate to say drastically better, but different for sure, and and better to a degree. And I think you hit on it with Jalen Brunson and with the offensive variance. Because two years ago, you know, it was everything goes through Julius Randle, and uh, for most of the year, it works because he was hitting shots and making great decisions. Playoffs didn't work because he stopped hitting shots. Uh, credit in part to Atlanta's defense. If the team zeroes in, if an opponent zeroes in on Julius Randle. This time, the Knicks have options. You put the ball in Brunson's hands and, you know, he's, he's got an advantage on the other side of the court if there's a double team to Randall. If you trap Jalen Brunson, he's crafty enough to get around the trap, get the ball out, and create an advantage for the Knicks offensively. So, yeah, for, for that reason, in particular, it's a different team. And it's a, it's a younger group, generally. Uh, and I think that bench two years ago was so key for the Knicks. But over over the course of this season, this bench unit really led in my mind by Emmanuel quickly has been very solid and quickly to me uh, again looking at it objectively seems like he should be in the conversation for the six man of the year award because of the body of work over the last three months he's been very very solid 1000 percent the Vegas odds by the way don't reflect that because quickly should be in that convo I don't think he's going to win the award but when you're mentioning Brogdon and Powell and a bunch of these other guys Emmanuel quickly's got to be there um Ian Brunson Watching him day in and day out, I always liked him. I liked him in Villanova. I was impressed last year with the way he played in the postseason. Ian, this guy is so much better than I thought, though. You know, you don't get that sense and that feel unless you watch a guy night after night after night. Like, he does what he wants on the court. He's a four general. He can get a shot. He makes his teammates better. The intangible factors are there. He, he's as good as it gets, man. Like, I can't believe the Knicks knocked it out of the park like this. This is, Ian, it's so un-Nick-like for them to go and give somebody a lot of money and then they actually exceed your expectations. Like, he hasn't met them. He's exceeded them drastically here, dude. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it, and it is un-Nick-like. And I, I just want to go back to the offseason for a second because if you remember, JJ, 
for them to create the cap space to make Brunson this offer, they had to get off of contracts that they had signed the prior summer. So to me, I looked at this thing as a really a make or break move for Leon Rose and his group, because when you have to uh, attach draft assets to get off of a deal to make a big signing. And here we just we just uh, just in here, Jalen Brunson, NBA Eastern Conference Player of the Month, which makes sense. Um, that that puts pressure on your front office. This is a big move. It has to work and could have gone one of two ways. And it's worked out. I mean, beyond probably anybody outside of Leon Rose, William Wesley, Tom Thibodeau and Rick Brunson's uh, wildest dreams. And it's, it's been incredible for, for New York. And the thing that you like in particular about Jalen Brunson is I think if he's not making shots, he's not forcing shots. Um, like I was talking to Josh Hart last night after the game and he said Brunson could have come out in the third quarter and said, Hey, you know, I'm like 10 points away from my career high or whatever it might have been. Let me go gunning for it. But he didn't do that. He took one shot in the third quarter. He was looking to set up his teammates. And Hart, who played with Brunson and Villanova, said, like, that just speaks to who Jalen is. And he's always looking to make the right play and, and lead the right way. And, like, it's, it's, it's not just the shot making, but it's the intangibles for Brunson, or what he's done to this Nick team as a whole. I really don't think you can overstate the impact he's had on this franchise so far. Yeah, and listen, Hart deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he comes in, and they haven't lost a game since he's been a Nick. He plays to the crowd. He's the perfect guy to come off the bench, hit some shots, play some defense, be an irritant. Like, there's something to that. You know, New Yorkers like that sort of vibe for somebody coming off the bench. Uh, there are certain guys that are just born to be Knickerbockers. Seems like he's born to be a Knickerbocker, dude. I mean, look, <laughs> you hit it. Uh, just he eats it up. It seems like he loves playing to that garden crowd. And the way he plays, uh, I think, is uh, it embodies those physical Nick teams of yesteryear that uh, a lot of New Yorkers fell in love with. And so, yes, this was a, this, to me early on. Anything could happen, like between now and the summer. But this looks like a really strong trade. Maybe one of the best trades of the trade deadline, depending on how things play out over the next few weeks here. And you look big picture, heart player option for next season. He's talked openly about wanting to be here. And to me, you know, you get him on a, on a solid deal. That's a, another piece to your foundation here, the winning foundation you're trying to build here. And it's again, credit to Leon Rose, the front office, everybody in the decision-making process there to get that deal done. You don't want to jump ahead of things, but if things stay status quo here, uh, going into the summer, it was a very good trade for New York. Ian, if there's one negative right now with this team, it's Barrett, who just has not evolved and has progressed, let's say, the way maybe I thought he was going to after getting a big contract. Let's be real. Forget about who starts games. I don't care about that. At the end of these games, you can make the argument the Nick best lineup has quickly and has Horton in it, and it has R.J. Barrett sitting on the bench. Um, you're around a team every day. You get the sense R.J. Barrett's feeling that heat, or is it, you know, things are going well, team's going well, he doesn't want to be, you know, the guy to bring it down necessarily? Yeah, I get the, the sense the latter. Like, he's not going to say anything publicly to rock the boat. Uh, so he's too savvy to do that. What he feels privately, I have no idea. Only he knows. But, Publicly, he's not going to do it. Um, 
he said last night, you know, look, this is what winning looks like, right? This is what a winning team looks like. People are going to sacrifice. You don't know where it's going to come from on a given night. Uh, and a, a given night, it's going to be somebody else's night. And then everybody roots for each other. So he's saying all the right things. Um, but yeah, certainly it's been, I don't want to say jarring, but it's been noteworthy that Barrett has not been out there for the most part in these closing lineups. Uh, what does it mean? Big picture. I mean, we know that Barrett's name came up in trade conversations for Donovan Mitchell. I have no idea if the Knicks would go back there. Uh, but it's just, it, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting subplot. But JJ, I don't know how you feel about it. I, Maybe because I'm too close to it, I have a little bit of a biased point of view. I believe Barrett, at the end of the day, will will get to whatever his ceiling is on both ends of the floor and play uh, winning basketball consistently. I think maybe some of it's just about finding his uh, role specifically with this group, but maybe that's an excuse for him. I just have confidence that Barrett, based on his makeup, will get uh, get the best out of himself on both ends of the floor, and I think that would be a good thing for the Knicks. I agree with that. He works hard. He cares. I just think that outside shot is a killer for him, Ian. It has not gotten better. He doesn't seem to trust it. Now it seems like he's forcing the issue a little bit. If he could figure that outside shot out, I think he'd be A-OK. You know, we spend so much time talking about Mitchell. And listen, if we're looking and comparing Mitchell and Barrett as players, there's no contest. You'd rather have Mitchell on your team. Ian, I don't think Brunson is having the year he's having if Donovan Mitchell is here. Is there something to that, or am I, like, totally insane? I don't think he's putting up these numbers. I think the fit might have been a little clunky because neither one is a great defender. Um, Should there be a lot more buyer's remorse that the Knicks didn't get Mitchell, or is it one of those things where, hey, things are going well, Brunson is playing great, you might not have gotten this version of Brunson if, dare I say, Donovan Mitchell is here? Well, I think you're 1,000% right about that. JJ, it w- you're not getting this Jalen Brunson season if Donovan Mitchell is on this roster. And that's not a knock against Brunson or Mitchell. It's just the idea that Brunson wouldn't be taking that many shots, as many shots as he is. I think he would have the ball in his hands less often than he's had it. And by that nature of just that alone, he would not be having the same season. Now, as far as buyers are more, look, yeah, things are, are very good right now. Uh, to me, with this team, though, like, the goal is to win a title, right? So it's just about the next trade. And is that next, is the trade you make better than the deal you passed up for Donovan Mitchell? I think, you know, that's going to be the answer to, did we, were we right about Donovan Mitchell? Were we wrong about Donovan Mitchell? What that next trade is, I mean, it, it remains to be seen. But the next, the big move here is still more likely than not to be a trade because they're not going to have significant cap space. They're set up to make a big deal with the draft capital and the young players. So, yeah, the the answer to did we make the right call on Donovan Mitchell depends on who you bring in next for your trade. Is it Jimmy Butler? Is it Carl Anthony Towns? Is it uh, Mikhail Bridges? You know, who is it? And is that player better fit long-term big picture than Donovan Mitchell would have been? Fascinating. Final one begs. Can the Knicks win a first-round series? I think they can. I think it has to be Cleveland. I'm not saying they're going to beat Cleveland. I think that's the only team in the top four they beat best of seven. I know they beat the Celtics two out of three. I can't see them beating the Celtics in the playoffs. I can't see them beating Milwaukee. And I don't like the matchup against Embiid. Uh, is Cleveland the only team you look at and say they can beat them? 
when it comes to maybe advancing out of the first round? I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. Because uh, the Cavs, they, ha- they have not played together with Donovan Mitchell, I mean, on that stage. And so they're going to have a lot of players that are that lack playoff experience. And then with the Knicks, you know, the depth is really strong and it's it's veteran depth too. So I think, I'm not saying the Knicks, I would bet money that the Knicks win that series, but I think that they would have a, a good shot um, to make it difficult for Cleveland. And in general, I think teams at the top would want to avoid the Knicks for this reason. This is a physical basketball team, right? Like even offensively, like they get into the paint and they bang you around offensively and then defensively, you know, we've seen how they defend. So whatever you, well, whoever draws the Knicks in the first round, even if you win that series, you're going to get beat up and you're going to, you're going to go through kind of the ringer, uh, so to speak, to get through that series. So I think teams are going to want to avoid the Knicks, but JJ, I would agree with you. I think Cleveland will probably be their best matchup of those four. Ian Begley, it's always good seeing you nightly on SOI. Keep up the good work. Put back. You want to find that digitally. Um, I'm sure we will reconvene when we get closer and closer to playoff time, which at least this year, it's going to be busy for you. It beats the alternative, dude. It, it beats you worrying about ping pong balls in the middle of May. So there's that. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it, JJ. Always good to be with you, brother. That's our main man, Ian Begley. We go from Ian Begley to Jet cornerback Michael Carter. He's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. All right, let's welcome in a guy who plays for the New York Jets. They had one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. Now the next step is taking his team to the postseason. Michael Carter, thank you for a few minutes. Welcome to New York, New York. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Thinking about your year now that we're at the scouting combine, how do you assess the season? Obviously made progress. Obviously, the Jets move in the right direction. But now, you know, you can reflect a lot better than you can right after the regular season. H- how do you think the Jets season, if you were to grade it, what would you grade it uh, from September to December? Uh, I mean, from September to December, I'd say, um, you know, maybe like a, a B plus, something like that. I think... Um, you know, the the first couple of games, um, you know, we were, had a lot of new faces, a lot of guys trying to, to really gel together and figure out how, how we mesh and how we, um, you know, come together as a unit. And I think after, you know, those first two or three games, uh, it really started to take off. So I guess you can kind of divvy it up in the, the three sections, I guess, all the way up until December um, being like the first three games where we were, you know, one and two. Um, 
and then that long stretch before we got to the the Patriots and then obviously dropped that game, but then ended up being Buffalo. Um, and then coming up and after the bye week, um, losing again to New England and then uh, being Chicago all the way. Um, so from September to December, I feel like uh, we definitely put a lot of good things on tape and, and took a step in the right direction. Now it's just about being able to be consistent and maintain that and, and continue to grow, really. Is it fair to say the next step of progress for you guys is the postseason? Because you're right. You guys did make progress. You guys were one of the better defenses in the league. You guys were in a lot of games. You guys easily could have had a winning record if a couple of things go differently last year. You mentioned those two New England games as a perfect example. Is the next measure of progress, Michael Carter, for the New York Jets being a playoff team? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what's kind of funny is I feel I feel like um, you know, in the building at least the next measure of progress for last season was to be, you know, in the postseason um this past season. I feel like that was the next step. For us, I feel like we already had those pieces, and then with the draft class that came in, the free agents and stuff that that you know Salah and Jody brought in, um, you know, I feel like the next step for last year was to be a postseason team. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that didn't uh, end up being the case. Um, so definitely this year, um, you know, that that's the mindset. You guys had the offensive and the defensive rookie of the years on your team. That's pretty cool when you think yeah. about it, Garrett. And I saw Garrett Wilson, Mike, I'm a big Dolphin fan. So I went down to that last game of the year, which, by the way, hide the women and children. Ugly, (laughs) ugly game, nine to six. The Dolphins couldn't guard Garrett Wilson. Like, they tried putting two guys on him. They still couldn't guard him. He's getting open. Sauce, you're playing with him in the secondary. He's making things happen. You know how tough it is to be a rookie corner. He comes in and, and seamlessly... It is locking down some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Talk me through what it's like playing well with Sauce Gardner, having him as a part of your secondary, and then maybe going up against a guy like Garrett Wilson in practice. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I'll start with, with Garrett. Um, man, he's 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 definitely different, man. I think his his routes and his speed and quickness and his sudden change of movement is almost, I think if I could compare him to a, a receiver in the league right now, um, kind of like Justin Jefferson. That's um, uh, high praise right there, Mike. That's yeah, high praise. He's, yeah. he's going to reach that level um, to where he's not just, you know, that offensive rookie of the year, but, uh, you know, offensive player of the year, uh, you know, that type of caliber receiver. Um, and, and you know, a lot of the guys on the defense, we were saying earlier in the year, I think when we played, uh, Green Bay, um, and we were like, okay, who's um, who's checking Garrett this game? And they had Jair, um, I think, was the one checking the majority of the game. And that's when I knew like he was really, really special because you know he's already garnered that type of respect from you know the top corners in the league, um, and, and having to go against Jair Alexander, and he's following them everywhere. And um, just that battle was was fun to watch. Kind of when we're not locked in trying to make our adjustments and just watching them go up against each other. So, you know, he's special and going up against him in practice, you know, he makes, made me better DJ uh, sauce. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a lot of guys like him um, that you see. Uh, and then just, just flipping the script, going on to defense and, and playing with sauce, man. The energy is, is out of this world. He's crazy, man. He's, 
he's a funny dude. Um, always cracking jokes. He's always got something to say. Um, we love that about him. Uh, he never gets too down. Um, never gets too high or too low. Uh, just an even kill. But he's going. He's going to talk his junk and, and back it up. And and you know, I feel like on the back end, you know, we got to match that energy. You know, you got a young guy. He's out here playing his tail off. DJ's playing his tail off. You know, everybody's doing their their one eleven. So you know, you got to match it. Feel like we did a good job. Um, when you're playing with those two guys, Gardner, who's unbelievable, DJ Reed, you brought his name up. He played like a Pro Bowl corner. Does that make you a better player when you're in the secondary with those guys where you're like, wow, Sauce is doing his thing. DJ Reed is doing his thing. Like you're seeing them kind of hone their craft in practice and then do it in the game. How much better does that make you? Man, it's it's it was it's crazy because um, you know, I was so excited when we signed DJ because, um, you know, like last year, you know, me, B, uh, Brandon, Bryce Hall, we were, the you know, the starters, but Bryce was the oldest dude and he was only in his second year um, at, at that point um, or a year before last. Um, so when we signed DJ, I was so excited to just be able to learn from him. And then, uh, you know, when we got Sauce, I knew I knew it was going to be something special. But um, I feel like you not only have to – want to strive to be at that level and play at that level with those guys, but you kind of have to because when you got two, uh, you know, outstanding corners um, alongside of you on the, on the outside, man, you know, you know what's going to happen. Um, you know, they're going to try you on the inside. And then when they're not getting anything on the inside either, you know, it's, it's fun, you know, playing in games where you just dominate like that. So, you know, your team is going to be in the news all off season. They're trying to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Is that something for you? You're, you dialed into, you like scrolling Twitter, you seeing what's going on, or is it basically, all right, when the Jets go and sign a veteran quarterback, wake me up, we'll figure out who it's going to be, and I'm not going to get too wrapped up in it. Have you been uh, following these Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, darkness retreat rumors? You into that <laughs> sort of stuff, Michael? No, not really. I mean, uh, kind of a little bit, just kind of, you know, because it kind of just pops up and it's, you know, you know, whatever's relevant to me, which is, you know, happens to be the New York Jets. I guess that's how the Twitter algorithm and all those things work. You know, sometimes, you know, I see those things and, um, you know, pay attention to it because I want what's best for the team and, and you know, want to be successful, want the, the offense to be successful, defense, special teams and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely, I wouldn't say dialed in, um, but, you know, I'm paying attention and, and watching, but, um, you know, who, whoever – they bring in, I know it's going to be the, the the right choice because I know kind of a little bit about how, um, you know, Joe and Sala and all the other coaches in the building, you know, the the values that they, they want in certain players and placing those guys. So I feel like uh, whoever they bring in is going to be a good fit. That's a good point you made with Sala. What does it take? to be a quote-unquote Robert Sala guy. What is he looking for in players that you notice, you know, being on his team now for two years? I think really, man, it's just, it's no quit. Um, you know, we've been in a lot of situations that face a lot of adversity um, from, um, you know, my rookie year when, you know, we were losing a lot of games, but this, and, and by a lot, like a large margin, where we weren't really in competition. Um, but then kind of in that, that back end of the year, we were, in games and fighting and just that no quit. I think, um, you know, I seen him kind of be expressive about that when, when we play 
my rookie year and then going into this year, just the same thing. All right, you know, now it's a four quarter game. You know, you got to outlast them. You got to be consistent and you got to have, you know, that extra 60, that extra 60 percent. Um, you know, in that fourth quarter is to to continue to to want it more than the other team. And so I feel like um, just that no quit um, and the willingness to work and learn. Um, I feel like that's that's important. You're a Duke guy. Uh, so I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that Syracuse game. My team is a disaster in basketball. Don't get me started. So he uh, absolutely whooped us. He had a nice <laughs> win yesterday against NC State. But I bring up Duke, Michael, because there's a guy who's in town who joined us every Tuesday throughout the football season mm -hmm. that's coming off the season of his life in Daniel Jones. Mm -hmm. You played with him in college. Did, did you see that in him? Like, was that the sort of quarterback that we saw when he was playing in college? What was your takeaway um, from afar? Obviously, you know, you're not watching Daniel's games every week, but what was your take on the season he had as a whole? Man, you know, just all the Duke guys, man, just, just super excited to, to, and you want everybody to be successful, but I knew, you know, he had it in him. It was all just about, you know, everything coming together and, and having the right pieces and, um, you know, and just, just him being confident um, in his ability. And because, you know, we've all seen it um, coming in, playing two seasons with him at Duke. Uh, we knew we had it in him. That's why, you know, the Giants picked him. Uh, in the first round. That's why he was a first-round quarterback. Um, and so uh, it was only a matter of time before he was able to break out. And and now, you know, he's bearing the fruits of his labor and you know, he's going to get a nice, a nice check. Um, and I, you know, Very nice check, Michael. Yeah, Very I'm nice proud of him for sure. Combine week. What do you remember about it? Do you have any experiences? Think back. You know, it's the weekend of the NFL Combine. Is that like something that's like vivid in your mind or, or not really? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's more vivid in my mind because um, I came out in uh, 2021. Uh, so the Combine was canceled. Um, you know, I was invited. Uh, so I was super excited. But, you know, kind of the more I hear about it, the, the week and uh, how taxing it is, you know, I'm kind of glad that um you know you don't have to just be there for a week sitting and then work out at the end of the week um and, and doing all that stuff um but it's kind of just it was it was more just weird and unprecedented times um you know during covid and they canceled the combine so had to go and you know the combine people called and we were setting up our medicals at lo uh, local hospitals were near where we were training and um you know little things like that the, the different interviews everything was over zoom didn't have to travel and, and go on visits and things like that. So I guess I had more of a boring combine experience um, because of COVID. Uh, but but that was really, you know, I guess it was more memorable because it was just, you know, everybody was just trying to figure out how to get it done. Totally get that. Totally different times, it feels like, Mike. Final one, man. I appreciate the time. You guys were really good defense last year. Absolutely. The, the facts back it up. The numbers back it up. There's always ways to improve. For what it's worth, this is my two cents, forcing turnovers. Is that, is that luck, Mike? Like, obviously, like a fumble recovery, the ball's at the bottom of a pile. That, that's anybody's game. But as far mm -hmm. as, like, strip sacks and interceptions and that sort of deal, is that something that a defense can legitimately work on? Or is that kind of a, like, 
luck of the draw type of thing as far as getting turnovers in a consistent basis, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you see some some of the turnovers, you know, the ball gets tipped in the air 50 million times and, you know, somebody comes down with it. I feel like, you know, part of this luck, but at the same time, there's an intent um, by whoever, you know, tipped the ball to to, to get it to that point. Um, so, you know, I feel like we try to be intentional in practice with how we go about trying to take the ball away, whether it's interception, you know, peanut punching, um, and, you know, just even scooping the ball off the ground, even when it's an incomplete ball. Um, you know, Coach Odin definitely, you know, he preaches that all the time. You know, we get minuses when we don't scoop the ball in practice. I'm just, just the little things, working on those little things. When you get in the game, um, you know, it's a force of habit. Uh, another thing I feel like um, is being intentional with, you know, eyes. You know, me personally, I probably missed, I probably missed, you know, three or four turnovers. Um, Do you just, keep? Uh, you clearly keep track, right? Yeah. Like the dropped interceptions or something along the lines of that. Like, man, I should yeah. have had that one. Absolutely, because man, like you know, it might have been some things where right, I was getting too icy over here, you know, trying to match this guy. But if only I, you know, kept my eyes on the quarterback, like kind of like I was supposed to, you know, he threw the ball right right to me. You know, New England, I could have had maybe four, three, four interceptions against New England, or in both, you know, kind of both games combined. You know, Seattle. Um, another game like Denver, um, just 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 things like that, man. Like I really think about those because you know, even though some of those games we won, um, it could have been a lot more dominant. It could have changed the momentum a lot sooner. You know, just little things like that. I feel like every football player does that. You know, thinking about not necessarily all the good plays you made, but more about those missed opportunities because. Uh, you know, those those turnovers, they win and lose a lot of games. Michael Carter, appreciate a couple of minutes. Continued success with the New York Jets. So listen, big year next season coming up. Hopefully for you, a whole lot of interceptions. Just yeah. uh, none against my guy, Tua. Like, save <laughs> them for Mac Jones and Josh Allen. None against my guy, Tua, all right? I nah, appreciate man, it, man. We, we got to get after him, too, for sure. I know. You guys don't <laughs> You guys don't play favorites. I get it. Listen, continued success. Keep up the good work, all right? Thank you. I appreciate it, baby. Good stuff all around. And look, good to hear Michael Carter not sugarcoat. He's paying attention on Twitter. I mean, how can you not be? I'm glad he didn't give us the, uh, you know, coach speak answer of, oh, well, you know, well, I'm not paying attention. But, but no, he's, he's paying attention. I didn't want to ask him his preference. Because then, listen, he's not going to give me an answer. You think he's going to give me an answer between Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr? Even if he has one, he's not going to give me an answer. So I didn't even want to put him in that situation. That's what you call being fair to your guest. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be total ass. All right. So before we hit Jeff Money, Larry, I know we've been waiting on you for a while with trivia. We've been busy. What can I say? But I'm ready for you, pal. You got some trivia for me? Let's hear it. JJ, Larry, here's two layouts for you. Who's the only guy in Major League history to have seven consecutive seasons of 300 average, 20 homers, 100 walks, 100 RBIs, and 100 runs scored. Second question is, who's who's the last pitcher to lead the major league in strikeouts in back-to-back years? I'm out. 
Okay. I'm going to start with the um, only guy in Major League history, 320, 100, and 100 for seven straight years. Stefan, is it Albert Pujols? Mm. It is not Albert Pujols. Okay, then. A little surprised by that. Is it... Hmm. The 300 is what makes it tricky. Seven straight years at 300. And the power. Is it George Brett? Uh, Stefan, if you don't mind telling me an era, what era are we in? Last 20 years? Yeah, 1990s to be specific. I'm an idiot then. So George Brett was an awful guess. I don't know why. I didn't hear the question properly. That's on me. Since 1990. Apparently it's a layup. Uh, I'll go with the greatest player I've ever seen. Barry Bonds. Mm. Wow. Hit the struggle bus here a little bit. The tricky part of this is the batting average, guys. That's the that's the tricky part of this. The batting average combined with the power. That's why I thought Pujols was a layup here. Stefan, is it Todd Helton? This is this is embarrassing. This is what happens. I haven't done trivia in a while. Um Care to give me a hint here, Stefan? Player turned broadcaster. See him on Ooh. TV a lot. I like that hint. Frank the Big Hurt Thomas. There we go. That was a good hint. That was a very, very good hint by our guy, Stefan. Very, very good hint. Give credit where credit is due. All right, the next one. The last pitcher to lead baseball in strikeouts in back-to-back years. It's got to be a guy that throws a lot of innings. Got to be a guy that gets a lot of Ks. Uh, I am going to say, Stefan, Justin Verlander. Wow, on a first guess. I had about four guys lined up. It was like Verlander, Scherzer, and a couple others. Very proud of myself for getting out on the first guess. I guess that makes up for uh, my my big hurt 320-20-100-100, which was tougher than Larry made it out to be. The pitcher one was a little bit more of a layup because you could kind of go by process of elimination and take it from there. All right, Jeff Bunny, Friday, NBA, college basketball. I don't know what your uh, preference may be, but anyway, let's hear it. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. It'll be for Friday the third. We got two plays. I got one in college basketball, one in the NBA. Start on college basketball. I'm going to go with Ball State plus the three over Toledo. And I'm going to go in the NBA with the Denver Nuggets minus the five and a half over the Memphis Grizzlies. Again, two plays. We're going to go with Ball State in college plus the three. And in the NBA, we're going to take the Denver Nuggets minus the five and a half. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ. I'm out of here. Let's go. Listen, got no problem with fading the overrated Memphis Grizzlies. No issues there, Jeff Money. And loaded Saturday of college basketball last weekend of regular season.
Big one for Carolina. They desperately need a win against Duke. Do they get it at home? UCLA, Arizona. That's a fascinating game. That's a late night game. Two teams that some people think are capable of winning a national championship. Um, and then there's a storyline in a game that really don't mean that much. Wake Forest and Syracuse. They are honoring the 20th anniversary of the Syracuse national championship. And they're going to retire GMAC's number. They're going to retire Hakeem Warwick's number. There's a lot of smoke that it could be the possible, uh, that it could be possibly the last home game that Jim Beheim ever coaches. I'll believe it when I see it, but it has gotten rotten in Syracuse to the point where you talk to most alum, they're ready for change. Whether that change happens this year or next year, it's inevitable. And with the decline of the program and Beheim's age, but it's one of those things that's tricky because you're not firing Jim Beheim. Guys meant way too much to Syracuse. He is Syracuse basketball. But when you're 16 and 14 and you're basically looking at three out of four years without going to the NCAA tournament and trending in the wrong direction, really, for the last nine years, opens up that can of worms. Tell you this, I wouldn't want to be John Wildback right about now. I wouldn't want that job. No way, no how. So uh, we'll have a bunch of picks on Twitter. John underscore Jastrzemski. When the lines come out come Friday night, Tweet them out Saturday. We'll give you a five-pack. We've been hot the last two weekends. We'll try to keep that going. Good job by Stefan. We're back on Sunday after Knicks-Celtics. Can the Knicks go and do it again? Enjoy your weekend. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.